Thank you for listening to Lone Star Community Radio. This program was broadcasted and recorded live from the LSCR studios in downtown Conroe, Texas. Lone Star Community Radio is supported by listeners like you. Donate and sponsor today. For more information on getting involved with Lone Star Community Radio, contact us at lscrstudios at gmail.com or visit us online at www.irlonestar.com. You're listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZWLP Conroe and 106.1 KZCCLP Conroe and worldwide on the IRLoneStar.com. Good afternoon, everybody. You're listening to The Cindy Cochran Show, and uh, that's my radio voice, and so I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> and, and I am here today with Carl Etchison. Etchison, and what he always said, told everybody, it's like the Etch-a-Sketch, but you put a son on the end of it, and that's, that's how you say his name, Carl Etchison. And he has the website called Send Carl to Prison. And it's so appropriate because that's where he spends most of time. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. He loves going and preaching and teaching the Word of God to these prisoners. And, you know, and you hate to say, oh, yeah, Carl, but you've got a captive audience. But that's not how he feels. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't see it that way. He, those guys could go to sleep during the time they're sitting in there, but they don't. They listen to him. And the baptisms this guy has had, even though we're not, you know, counting that as like, oh, it's successful because of how many baptisms you have, but, but these guys are turning their lives around and uh, committing, not crimes, but committing to Christ. And so it's really, it's really exciting. And so I'm, I'm very honored to have him. He used to be my boss, but it's so funny now because it's turned around and he's having to answer questions to me. <laughs> so anyway, thank you, Carl, and welcome to the Cindy Cochran Show. So Glad to be here. Glad to be here. My, no, my prison nickname is Tiger. What? Because, yeah, and, and so they, that's kind of fun because I, th- this is one of those jokes that I've used for years that I didn't like the nickname Etch-A-Sketch because I didn't like women calling me that. I'd rather be called Tiger, and it never caught on. Well, because the guys want things sometimes, and they want help, and want their friends in a program. They can't remember my name, and that, so they just, oh, they remember Tiger. story, Tiger. And they say, well, it works because whenever we ask you how you're doing, you always say you're doing great, like Tony the Tiger. So it caught on. So there's like a 1,000 guys calling me that. My wife still won't call me Tiger, but that's all right. I love, I love <laughs> well, that. Well, it's fun. If you go to a I restaurant like... <laughs> Rudy's Barbecue or Panera Bread, and you have to leave your name while they're getting your lunch. And, oh, perfect. And I always say, well, just put Tiger. And they're like, Tiger? I said, oh, that's my prison nickname. Oh, yes, sir, Mr. Tiger. I'm like, no, it's not, it's not like that. But you get really good service and generous portions, right. so it kind of works. <laughs> and they'll be really nice to you, and I'm afraid we've got somebody, and they go in the back and talk about the guy that's from prison, and uh, his name is Tiger, and he wants his soup. Don't put anything in it. Don't spit in it. Don't do nothing you like that. You might know people. Yeah, right. That's right. He knows people. But um, but you you came from, you, you were preaching like like a regular preacher, and, uh, and well, you were never like a regular preacher, i got to say that. That's fair. Uh, but you were doing uh, sermons and on Sunday mornings, and you taught some classes and things like that. And then uh, when you left that last job, that where we were together, then you went to the prisons, which was ac- actually biblically correct. And uh, what uh, God wants us to do is to visit the, the prisoners. I mean, that was, that was so odd to me. It scared me to death 
to think that God was expecting me to go into a jail and visit those prisoners because that's why they were put in jail, God. I know you <laughs> to know get that. get them away from you. Yeah, sure. that's right. To so protect you. Why do you want me to go? And uh, so it, it's just, it's so odd. What caused you to then go to the prisons and start doing a ministry there? Well, there, look, the short answer, and then I'll tell you the story. The short answer, if you've ever seen one of those posters that there's a fence post with a turtle on top of it, and the caption says, how did that turtle get up there? Well, obviously, somebody put it there because the turtle Can't couldn't climb, get up there. Yeah. So th- the short answer is God put me there because I had no interest in this. I was not only not only not interested when they said, oh, we have a prison minister that you know we help support, and he could come and speak sometimes. I would use the excuse, no, my schedule, I've got my sermons out for months, and and I would really, I'd say, can't we just give the guy a check? I don't want him to come in here and bring us all down with his sad stories. And <laughs> and that was me. I was the guy that didn't want to hear that guy. Oh. And and now I'm that guy. So, But it's kind of funny that um, growing up in ministry, you always want to have a bigger church and more people. And, and I remember thinking, man, I wish I had one of those churches where police have to direct traffic because I had to drive through those churches to get to mine. And <laughs> it's like, oh, now you're in a place where there's policemen all over the place. <laughs> and it's so big, I have no idea it's, you know, how many people are there. But it's kind of yeah. funny. He's like, was that not what you wanted? Well, what happened after being at uh, Grace Crossing for 10 years, I felt like I could go back to my old Bible that I had in college ministry and just go through the Gospels and teach without any notes and just go through my, my old New Testament and teach for... 45 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever we had on the countdown clock. And then I would just pick up there next week. Well, what I forgot is that we were doing a outline handout of my sermons uh, for uh, translation for people that uh, English was not their primary language, so we had English and Spanish handouts in the foyer. Well, now that I don't have any notes, there's, there's nothing to type, so I didn't have those anymore. So I found out that we had a couple people that were doing prison ministry twice a month, and they had been using my sermon note outline for their lessons. Well, I didn't know that. And so they came up to me and said, you know, we need your help. Well, okay. And I'm thinking they need me to write some notes. So they said, we need your driver's license. And I thought, wow, it must be tough to get notes into prison because <laughs> I, I don't know anything about prison. And so, I mean, literally, I'm driving through Huntsville. I slow down when you go by the prison that you see thinking you don't want to have a flat tire or anything. Right. And now that's one of my favorite prisons to go to that I go regularly. <laughs> and there's a lot more than one prison in Huntsville. So that couple that did the prison ministry a couple weeks later said, um, well, okay, you're approved. Okay, and I, I'm still thinking I'm going to write some notes. And then a week later they said, we, we need to get together. And I said, yeah, we've got we to work on some notes. And they said, what are you talking about? And I said, what are you talking about? They said, you're going with us. And I said, no, I'm not. And they said, okay. yeah, you're, you're going too. And I'm like, I'm not going to prison. I had no interest. I wasn't willing to do that at all. And they said the worst thing they could say to me, if you don't come, they will cancel the church service. I oh. said, what do you mean? They said, well, in, in prison, in Texas, the programs that volunteers come to, if the volunteer doesn't show up, they cancel it. And you're the only volunteer that's approved. So if you don't come, they will cancel it. And I'm thinking, what church cancels church because the minister's sick or has a flat right. tire or something? And somebody else will do it. And they said, no, in prison, you have to be approved ahead of time and be on the gate list to get in. And 
you can't do this last minute stuff. It has to be planned ahead. It's like, oh man, when, well, when is it? When is the day? And this was in 2015. It was February 14th. So does that Valentine's date sound familiar? Day. Valentine's Day. Oh. Any good husband is going to be doing something special for his wife. And I, I thought Valentine's Day, that's, that's kind of busy. And on top of that, I had a wedding. Somebody thought that that'd be a great day to get married. So I had a wedding that day. Mm-hmm. And then the week before, somebody passed away. And the family thought, wouldn't it be great to do the funeral service on Valentine's Day as we express our love for our loved mm-hmm. one who's passed away? So I just totally assume I'm off the hook. I have the service. I also have the, the wedding, and I have the funeral. No problem. And the, they had the nerve to ask me, well, when is the wedding? I said, well, it, it, it's in the afternoon, but it's an outdoor wedding, and it won't be that long. And they said, well, when's the funeral? I said, well, it's later in the afternoon, but there's also a graveside, and then it'll be 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And they said, well, when will that be done? I said, ah, probably 4 or 5 o'clock. They said, great. The service is not till 6. You can still come. <laughs> I'm thinking, I cannot believe that they still expected me to go. Now, I like coming early, like I came today. I like coming early. To be on time is late for me, and yet the only place I'm late is the dentist. I just can't, (laughs) and that means I'm on time. I I just don't want to be there. And here, I barely got there in time. So I go with them, and all I can think about is I do not want to be here, and I want to get out of here. That's all I could think about for the whole hour that it took to drive to the prison. And then it occurs to me, that's probably how they feel. <laughs> so, so I thought, well, okay, if you just want to get out of prison, nothing's really changed, and you're probably going back. So let's talk about how you got to get into something good to prevent you from going back into something bad. Like, like a baby, you want to get them to let go of something, you have to offer something else that they want so they'll let go of it. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to talk about... The, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church and how much he loved them and how precious they were and how some people have babies by accident, but you don't adopt somebody by accident. That's intentional. And God wants to adopt us into his family. So that's, that's what we need to do is get into God's family, and that's, that's what I'll talk about. So I, I talked about that as the forever family that won't quit on you because I heard that a lot of guys, you know, their family quit on them. I think it's 80, 85% grew up without a dad. And so I thought our Heavenly Father is not like that. He's not going to abandon you. He won't quit on you. And so that's what we'll talk about. Afterward, one of the guys, (laughs) I know his name's Gary, but anyway, I didn't know who he was. He's bigger than me. His arms are as big as my legs. He's got tattoos all over. He's got skull tattoos on his arm, and he just starts walking right toward me. And I'm looking around, and there's only one officer in the room, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, what, here it comes. This is how. And he just keeps walking right up to me. And then I realize I'm standing in front of the only door, so there's no <laughs> other way out. So it's my fault. And he comes right up to me, and he says, thank you so much for opening Ephesians to the men, because that's my favorite book in the Bible. I'm like, okay. Oh, wow. And he says, normally what we get here is ex-prisoners who come back and just yell at us and try harder to do better. And he goes, that's not really helpful. And he says, you actually just taught the Bible, and it was wonderful. And I'm thinking, everybody's leaving. We need to go. (laughs) I just wanted to leave. So the longer he talks to me, the men are all clearing out of the room, and I'm thinking, we got to get out of here because I don't want to be here. By yourself. And the the, the other volunteers have already started coming out. And to be honest, I did not want to walk in front of him because I was afraid of him, but I didn't. 
want to be behind him because then I'm the only guy here and I don't want to be here. So we walked out side by side. And the way it works in Texas is they can't open the next gate until the other gate is closed. So they can only open one gate at a time. And I, I feel bad about it. I counted how many gates. I think there were seven. So I felt like I was really, really in there. And all the way out, he's trying to talk me into coming back. And all I want to do is get out. So he's, he's holding me back so he can talk a little longer. And I'm just wanting to get out. And the team can't get out because they can't open the next gate until we close this one. So he, we go as far as he can go, and he's got his hands on the bars, and, and he's, he's trying to close them now so they can open the next one. And I'm trying to hold them open because as soon as it closes, I know I'm never seeing this guy again. I'm not coming back. And he just pleads with me, I wish we could have somebody that would come in here and just teach the Bible. And I thought, I mean, I'm thinking – I've, I've never been drunk. I've never done drugs. I've only been with one woman. I mean, I don't have a tattoo. I, I can't talk to these guys. And he's, he says, oh, some of these men would really listen to just a Bible teacher who would just teach the right. Bible. And I'm like, really? They would, there are people that would listen to some? He goes, oh, I know some guys would just love it. And he goes, and I know one guy would really love it, and that's me. And just please would you just consider coming? And I, I hear coming out of my mouth than I would. And he slams the door closed and then they open the next one and the volunteer's like, come on, we got to go. If the officers say go, you got to go. And so we get in the truck and they say, what were you talking to that guy about? I said, he was trying to talk me into coming back. They said, well, you didn't tell him you would, did you? And I said, I don't, I think I'm supposed to do this. And they're like, what? Oh, that's the worst thing you could have done. The worst thing you could do is lie to these men and get their hopes up because then they get disappointed and you let them down. I said, no, I think I'm really supposed to do this. I don't. And they're like, what? You didn't even want to come. I'm like, I know, I know. So I said, I, I don't. Who was converted? <laughs> yes. Well, it's 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 one of those weird. It's one of those weird kind of things that I didn't I didn't choose it. Mm-mm. And yet now, after it's been over seven years, it's like you've heard the phrase "fishing in a barrel." This is like fishing in a barrel with a net. It's like Cooking for, if you like to cook, cooking for people that are hungry is a whole lot more fun than cooking for a food critic. Now, you might get a trophy for yes. the food critic, but it's no, they criticize. Right. But people that don't get a lot of teaching, they are so thankful and so respectful. So I've been doing this for seven years. It has not changed. Every week, I get applause when I walk in the room just for coming back. Just they for can't believe back. you would come back. And they've started applauding when I leave, too. I'm not sure if that's a good thing. I think that's okay. No, I, 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 I think coming and going is good. That's so good. it's really, it's, it's like a teacher's dream to have oh, yes. a waiting list to get in your class. And ironically, in the, the about 10 prisons that I go to, five of them regularly, in every single one of them, there is a waiting list to take some of the classes. And surprisingly, the class that there's the biggest waiting list for that I know of is called Authentic Manhood, and it's about how to be a real man based on the life of Jesus as the model. And I'm thinking, what church has a waiting list to get in the men's class? Can you? Imagine? And yet, one of the units, it's 328 men on the list waiting to get in the class because we have to wait till the next opening. And I'm thinking, this is really odd. I'm not used to this many adult men wanting to get into program because they now know this will help me change. This is a preacher's dream. Yeah. And once this gets out, you imagine. Well, if you, in well, the, the church services, if you ask them, 
even though you don't want to be in prison, because I'm speaking from my heart, you don't want to be here, you don't want your kids to be here, you want to get out of here, how many of you would say, this is one of the best things that ever happened to you? And every single time, it's at least half the room raises their hand mm -hmm. in front of each other. And when the one time I preached at the women's prison, it was three-fourths of the room raised their hand, and I was shocked that they would say that. That they were going the wrong way, 100 mile an hour, didn't listen to any of their loved ones and family, and then they go to prison, and they had their wake up, and they find God. And now some of these people read their Bible four hours a day, which is more than I do. And some of them have gotten advanced degrees, and some of them in counseling or religious studies, and it's amazing. That is, uh, well, you know, we shouldn't be shocked. It's just like, <laughs> that's, it's God's Word that, that changes that heart and stuff like that. So, um, And it's funny to me, we'll always say, like, I can't believe that happened. Uh, you want to say that again? <laughs> I can't believe. Well, no, because you know God's going to take care of that and and be in charge of that. But wow, uh, the amount of baptisms that you've had and the conversions that have happened, and will they carry that on? Will they carry that on? Do you see them carrying it on while they're in prison? They, they stay strong and do all that. Do you have any studies of how they do it when they get outside? Well, okay, we, let's talk a little about that. Big structure-wise, prison ministry is basically three different areas. There's the ministry that you do for the family of the people that are in prison, like those where Angel mm -hmm. Tree and things like that, and that's a huge ministry. And then there's the part that I do where it's inside prison with the inmates, with the classes and programs and faith-based dorms and the church services. And then there's the aftercare, where people get out and they need to get jobs, place to stay, driver's license, things like that. And that's the biggest one. That's huge. And so I try to stay out of that as much as I can because it's a whole lot of time with just a handful of people. Oh, that's like a whole different department. It really is. Yeah. So I try to focus on the guys in. And one of the, one of the funny things I tell, a lot of guys want me to do their weddings when they get out of prison because I do them for free. And <laughs> I like to t and I tell them, I'd rather do your funeral, and they just kind of look at me funny. I said, yes. no, it's a whole lot more meaningful, and everybody be thinking about their lives, and, and they're like, no, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't, wouldn't help. I said, well, one guy said, I won't be there. I said, oh, you'll be there. You just won't be, have a speaking part. But, so they're no, I'd rather do my wedding. Okay, we'll do your wedding. But um, in, in the baptism service, like during COVID, we couldn't do that. And I remember the first time we were allowed to do it again, and one of the wardens wanted to be there and be part of it. And it, it just... It was just so special that we could do that. And years ago, when you worked with me, one of the things that I would say, and I picked this up from that movie Troy with Brad Pitt, where mm -hmm. he fought one-on-one, -on -one and then he challenges, is there no one else? Is there no one else? And then no one comes. And I thought that was clever. And so whenever we would have a public baptism, just because when I'm excited or nervous or happy, I, I say something that I think is funny. And so I would say to the congregation, is there no one else? And people would laugh. But no, all the years that I've done that, no one in Free World Church has said, oh, well, hey, and then I'll, then I'll come. That's never happened. As a habit, the first time we did a baptism service in prison, I was so excited that we can actually do this. And so I did the same thing. I said, is there no one else? And nine guys have come forward. Nine. <laughs> I've never seen a line of men never. coming forward for prayer. 
Men, let alone right. to surrender in baptism. So oh. I, I, I asked them, I thought they were coming forward for prayer. They said, no, we wanted to be baptized. And, well, they didn't sign up, and usually you have to sign up ahead of time. So I go ask the chaplain. I said, there, there's nine guys over here that want to be baptized. He said, well, they're not on the list. And so I go back and tell them they're not on the list. And the chaplain said, we don't have a change of clothes for you. We don't have enough towels. I think it's 40, 50 degrees outside. You'd have to go back, you know, wet. And they said, we don't care. And I thought, okay, come, come with me and tell the chaplain and what you said. And they said, we don't, we don't care. We just want to obey God. And I said, chaplain, isn't this the kind of attitude we're looking for? And he goes, well, okay, we'll, we'll do this, but next time they need to get it on the list. Okay. So, we, so those nine guys. And then I said, again, is there no one else? And here comes three more. And I'm thinking... This is amazing. When we got done, the chaplain said, can we go to Whataburger or something? I don't want to go home. This is, I've never seen anything like this. I said, I've never seen anything like this. This is really fun. So we, we got to do this again. And so it's been hundreds. It's, it's over 200 this year. It's just phenomenal. So I just haven't, I just haven't been able to experience anything like that. Well, it's like 962 total since you started. I, I, we, the first ones that I was involved with talking to anybody about was um, in 2016. Yeah. And I think we had another couple dozen this week, so I think we're up to. Uh, it's it's not a thousand yet. I think when we hit a thousand, I'm asked that guy if I can hold him under a little longer just for me to enjoy the moment. But <laughs> just enjoy the. <laughs> well, but I should explain one one of the one of the leaders of one of my churches that helps support me in California. Uh, he just kind of asked the question on behalf of some others about how serious the men are and. So I always tell them, this doesn't help you get paroled. This is not what this is about. And so I asked him to come with me from California at one of the times when we were doing a baptism service. So he flew out and stayed with me over uh, Easter weekend, where I think we had four services scheduled, and he got to go with me for three of them. In one of the units, the chaplain had twisted his ankle, so he couldn't help me. So he's signing certificates. Uh, baptism certificates, and so uh, this elder is on the other side of the baptistry helping me. He's got his hands on these guys, all the, oh. all the, mm. yeah, and some of them former gang leaders and renouncing their gangs, things like this. So I wanted him to see that it's humiliating to be baptized in prison because you live with these men, you eat with these men, you work with these men, everybody watches you, and what they taught me is that in prison you lose like 80% of your freedom and your choices. But the one thing they can't take away from you is your word. And everybody watches you to see if you're keeping your word. So you, if, if you don't walk the talk, there's consequences. Mm -hmm. And so oh, these man. men, went, so, some of them have waited 10 years to be baptized because they, they couldn't do it at different places or they were at a security level where it wasn't allowed. And one of the guys went to church five times in prison, and they wouldn't let him in because of who he was. And we had to get special permission to baptize him. So, I mean, some of these stories are just things I'm not used to. So, so well, again, so what happens is when, when they come up, and this is originally the chaplains wanted the baptisms to be private because it's embarrassing. And then they decided it's better to, to have people there to witness, like you do a wedding. And so I use it like a wedding, where some of them have put their faith in Jesus but couldn't be baptized for a while, and now they can. So I ask them to give their confession that they put their faith in Jesus, and I make them say it real loud so everybody hears it, just like I do at weddings. And then I, then I say, okay, 
That's your confession. But baptism is an act of surrender. And I want to make sure you understand that's what you're doing. You are surrendering to Jesus. Are you sure that's what you want? And they say yes. And I say, I mean, that means you're going to make Jesus your Lord of your life from now on. No looking back. No going back. That's right. I said, now this means he's your master from now on. Are you sure that's what? And can everybody hear that? I make them say it real loud. And then that's that. So they really get that little, that talk about that. Mm -hmm. And I say, this is, this is not like you're dating Jesus. You're marrying him. This is like your vow for life before God and these witnesses. And anyway, and some of them, the other men will say, hold him under extra long because we, we know him or bang his head on the ground. You know, it's kind of funny that they, they do it as a group activity like that. Right. Well, anyway, we did this, and I think that day we had 40 or 45 guys, and that, that leader from that church in California, he said, I will never be the same because I've been part. He goes, I can't even call it Easter Sunday anymore. i got to call it Resurrection Sunday because I saw lives transformed right in front of me. And I explained to him, transformation, you can't go back. Like the butterfly can't be a caterpillar again. That's a one-way change. When God changes you this way, you can't, you can't go back to what you were because you now know things you didn't know. So that, that is one of the services we had this year. I, I always explain to the men that some of you will say things like, um, I was baptized as a baby, but I didn't really know about that. It was for my parents. You know, can I do it again? And I was like, I said, it, it's up. You have to make the decision for yourself. Either that bothers you or it doesn't. And, it, and I said, Satan will use worry, doubt, and fear to challenge your faith. So if that, why can't we deal with this and it'll be gone? And then you'll know, and that'll never bother you again. And then one guy, like, yeah, I want to do this for me. And he says, can you baptize me just to be sure? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I can baptize you to be saved. He goes, yeah, I want to be baptized to be saved. I'm like, well, then let's do that. <laughs> so, right so I tell that. One of the guys says, um, I, I was waiting till I get out of prison to be baptized with my wife. I wanted to do it together. Well, that's nice. He Aww. goes, but I haven't heard from her in six months, and I don't know what's going on. And I wonder, should I go ahead or should I wait for her? I said, well, maybe, maybe the right thing to do is for you to get your life right, and then whatever happens with her, you'll be a stronger man of God for that. And he goes, yeah. And he could baptize her. Yeah, and he says, yes. I agree, that's that's what I want to do. That's great. So anyway, I'm, I'm telling this story at another prison of these things that people have told me through the last years. And when I did the, is there, no, is there no one else, is there no one else, and three more guys come up, a fourth guy comes up, and I said, oh, did you want to be baptized too? He goes, no, I want to show you this. And he goes, he holds out a wrinkled baptism certificate signed by me four years ago. And he goes, that was me that you were talking about. I was the one that told you that story. Oh. And I want you to know that I'm still faithful. And he goes, I'm still in prison, but I'm still faithful. And I carry this with me every oh. Sunday to remind me that I gave my life to God and that I belong to him. And That's I mean, it's, awesome. it's priceless. It's priceless. So, yeah, those things are special to me. Carl, and you know how easily I cry. <laughs> and I'm going like, I'm going to be able to hold it together. This is just going to be an interview. And I'm going to... I forgot about the stories. Well, you could ask me some math questions if you want. <laughs> no, I want to talk about. I want to talk about this. This is um, interesting. So people understand that your background—you weren't some rich kid, and that was went to, you know, all the the great schools and had everything that they wanted and all that. Uh, that you had a hard time growing up, and this is what Carl would say. First time he said this, everybody went, uh, "What?" He said, "Did y'all?" Somebody said they had cereal that morning or that the best cereal or something like that. It's about cereal. And he said, oh, 
you you guys had milk? <laughs> and I said, well, of course. He said, I never had milk. And then we went like, what? Well, I had to have water. And we go, you put water on your cereal? Yeah. And we're like, well, did you do that on purpose? Or? We didn't have electricity for our fridge, so and, you couldn't keep the milk. Right. And they didn't have electricity. <laughs> and, and so you had a, a difficult time growing up. And so it, it's a testament to, you know, it doesn't have to take you down the wrong path. And the, like a lot of these guys use as a crutch and, sure. and stuff, an excuse. But uh, it, and, I, and I would tell Carl, Carl, tell stories. You know, you've got so much scripture in your head and you can throw out that scripture and you can just regurgitate it all day. But when you tell a story, that's when people, they, they relate to you because they think of you. You come off as just being this, hey, is it bitty doo die <laughs> and nothing's ever happened bad to me and I don't know what y'all are talking about. I can't relate. But you can because you went through such a tough time. And so it would, but and so when Carl would tell you know, stories and especially about his life and, and stuff as, as he does a sermon, it was, it was great. It was, you know, people, people responded, responded to that. I, I, I know they responded to the ghillie suit and to the, when you did the, uh, <laughs> the <crazy>. dirt bike. <laughs> and, and when we had Carl, we talked about Carl, how slow he is at driving. He's, he's like the most meticulous driver in the whole world. Drive like a turtle. And he, and we did, <laughs> And we did a video where, where we had this 85, six-year-old woman uh, walk past him as he's driving. She's walking down the street, and she passes him. And um, it was just, we had so many fun things in there. And you, and you were just totally open to anything I would do. It was just like, go ahead. Because you had a lot of things like you wanted to get, get, get to do. And then you were tied to a sermon somehow, and uh, it was going to be great. But people never knew what to expect when they got there. The curtains would open, and there would be a jungle. And they're like, what? And then the curtains open, and Spider-Man would be hanging upside down. And it was just, you never, you, you just didn't know what to expect. And, and it certainly got people's attention. That they Well, a lot of people that have been to church many, many years, they think they've got it all figured out. And just like I said, food crit, it's easy to sit there and just critique everything. But the story because of our media culture, I think it relaxes you to where you take down your, your boundaries a little bit and some of the barriers, and then that allows the message to come alongside. And I think that's what Jesus did with the parables. He talked right. about familiar things, and then he could talk to him about spiritual things. Right. But even, even a month ago, one of the it's the largest chapel in the state, and I, I go there regularly, and I was preaching there, and one of the men had heard me before and been in my classes, and he stopped me as I was leaving, and he said, um, I just... I just I want to give you some advice if you would receive and I said sure and he said um, I just really think you're a really good teacher and you know a lot of scripture and we, we have a limited amount of time and I, I just think it would be better if you didn't tell stories because <laughs> it takes away from your time and that would give you more time to teach uh-huh. biblical texts and he says okay if I, I said sure I'll, I'll take that under consideration and give it some thought two rows behind him there's a guy I've never met before just sitting there smiling ear to ear and I walk by and shake his hand, and he goes, who are you, and when are you coming back? Because I have not smiled since I've been in prison. He goes, I really had a good time in church today. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to listen to that guy instead yes, of the other one. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm so, I'm so glad that happened. Because it is, you have to deal with so many egos sure. in church. And in prison, I can imagine they're even stronger 
there. What have you found out about human beings that have been incarcerated and and what it you know what it does to them is it something that you you feel like it is defining for them they they see themselves one way and they can't see themselves another way until they listen to maybe a sermon well let, let me package that question before i respond with this statement that i use i get in trouble for sometimes because i've said it in prison and out and when i say this in prison i always get applause and when i say it in a free world church it's crickets so here's what i say i say in prison when they they strip away all the the externals everybody's wearing the same clothes you can't tell anything about their background or who they were or what job they had Mm -hmm. and because they live together eat together work together they know each other and so genuineness is the main thing. Be, the whole thing that was real popular back in the 80s about having integrity. In prison, you have no choice. Everybody knows you. And so that's inescapable. And I said, in the free world church, people clean up real good on Sundays, and you have no clue what those people are really like or what conversation was in the car, what the family's like. And like, hey, how you doing? Oh, fine. How you doing? Great. Good to see you. And hey, is that sermon going to be online? Because I have a friend that really needs it. You know, you, you get that stuff regularly. Uh-huh. In, in business... You know, like the number one lie is check is in the mail. I think in church it's uh, see you on Sunday, and people say that all the time, and they don't. Mm-hmm. So what I told the guys after doing this a few years and also still talking in some churches, about, usually about prison ministry, I, I said some of the most committed people I've ever met in my life are behind bars. And it amazes me that they do that. And now, granted, a lot of their freedom has been taken away, so they have to choose what they do with the time they have. But I said, I wish a lot of our free world people had some of you in their churches because some of you are so committed. You are willing to stand up for your faith even though there's consequences physically. You're willing to renounce your past. You're willing to go without the support of your family and still be faithful. Some of them have just committed to some of the spiritual thing. I mean, some of the units have elders and deacons in the prison church. Uh, one, one of the units I was preaching at had a, a podium up front that, that I, they wanted me to use, and it said Unity Church on it. And I thought some local church donated that, and I wanted to know which one it was because I thought it's a nice name. They said, no, we built that in our shop, our wood shop. I said, oh, you oh. built that? That's pretty nice. I said, well, who, who's Unity Church? And they said, we are. We're the church. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yes, you <laughs> oh, are. Yeah, and they said, right. we have elders and deacons and ushers and everything. I'm like, oh, my we goodness. have prayer leaders and counselors. And like, wow, because they've been there a long time. So they created the internal structure for support to help people. Oh, Blew me man. away. So I said, some of, you, some of you guys are so committed. I wish we had you in our free will church. And of course, they applaud. And I said, but in addition, I kind of wish some of our free will people were in prison so we could find <laughs> out if their faith is real. And they applauded for that, too. <laughs> If I say that at Free Will Church, they do not. They do not. Like, Man, we thought we liked you, but not anymore. Because that sounds cold. But I'm like, no, I just... The, no. James said the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and that's how you know if it's real. If your faith is never tested, right. it can't be trusted. It's like right. you got... It has, and I, I don't like that any more than anyone else, but when you're tested to see if your faith is real. I, I've heard people tell me if God does not answer their prayers the way they want, they're not sure that there is a God. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? Like, you you should praise God if He didn't answer any of your prayers because of who He is. 
not just what he does for you. That's, that's pretty shallow. I mean, that's right. a very immature, childish kind of view of God. If you see him as God, your creator, you should praise him just for that. Now, if he answers your prayer, that's a bonus, but it's not like you serve him so he'll give you stuff. Well, and that's and really important to me. I think, too, that when God doesn't answer that prayer and, and you do get kind of angry, like, okay, now I've been praying faithfully. I've been that woman who, you know, went to the king and you know, got just bad, badgered him so he changed his mind. But you think you're going to be able to do that, and that's taking on my power, you know, to God. And, and when he doesn't answer it the way that you think, that's— you have to have faith enough that he knows what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and what's down the road, and you don't. And so that answer that, that comes negatively to you is you, you have to accept that and say, thank you. Thank you for that because you probably kept me out of something and something I, I didn't want to be involved in. But you, so, you remember when we first got our billboard? Yes. And you remember what I wanted to put on it? Your mother wants you in church? No. Oh, wait. We put that oh. on the, at the other one where we put it on the, on the marquee for Mother's Day. What I wanted to put on the billboard was the end of your search for an ugly church will take anybody. Oh. And I wanted to put pictures of our real people up there. And the, the eldership <laughs> said, no, we can't do that. But I always wanted to do that. That's anyway, why I didn't do, know do you remember that. what we actually put the very first time? The no. way other people drive should drive you to prayer. Yes. Oh, that was so And good. it took me two years to make prayer a priority in my life because I had not ever experienced that or I didn't have a role model of anybody who was really a prayer warrior. That just wasn't an emphasis for me. So for most people, they don't really pray until they get in trouble. Well, you wouldn't let me put on the, on the billboard that uh, Satan doesn't want you worshiping at this church. <laughs> and you said, no, I don't want to do anything to mess with yeah. my, Satan. Let's, let's leave him alone. The only thing worse than that would be put my face up there. So we'll do that either. So anyway, what, what, a few years ago, they did actual research on Texas prisons because we lock a lot of people up. And we're kind of like the world headquarters here for prisons, and the whole mm-hmm. world kind of watching how's Texas doing it. The big thing that's changed is the recidivism rate. That recidivism is the return to prison rate. And every state measures that, but they measure it a little bit differently. But in Texas, they measure it every three years. And what Texas measures is not just that you didn't go back to prison, but you didn't commit a crime that would cause you to have to go back to prison. So they measure that every three years. And it's been declining, where national average is usually about two-thirds, so in the 60% range. And Texas has been dropping, dropping. It was 28% when I started. Now it's, then it was down to 23. Now it's down close to 20%. And so people are wondering, what are you doing differently? Great. And faith-based programming is the big thing they credit it to, but they needed some kind of data to back that up. Right. So Baylor University did the research on it. And what they found out is basically the conclusion, and one of the professors wrote a book by this title called More God, Less Crime. And that people that participate in faith-based programming are less likely to make these bad decisions. So a lot of it's based on this, the old fight-or-flight thing that almost everybody knows about, and men use it a lot. But when that research first came out, there was a third choice, fight or flight or pause. And so in many of our programming, one of the lessons that we teach is that if you will choose your response rather than just react to a situation— you will like what happens a whole lot better than if you just react. And so you have to teach a lot of these men how to process what you see and respond through a filter instead of just react. Do you role play? We do that in our faith-based dorm programming, yes, because they, are, they have 
to learn how to hold each other accountable. And when I tell them, veterans tell me you go to war for your country, but you fight for the guy next to you. Yes. The same is true for the football team or the high yes. school band. Why can't we do that in our life? Why do we just do it for the military or a game? Why can't we? You didn't choose the guy next to you. Mm-hmm. You didn't choose who your celly was or your, the, the officers that are over you, but you have to respect them. So why can't, why can't we learn to do that for our fellow man? And if they, if they agree to do it, and we role play all of this. We we use the illustration of national football game or or pro, you know NFL. If a player gets hurt, the game stops till we make sure he's okay. Right. And that's millions of dollars being wasted the longer he's laying on the field. But they want to make sure he's okay. And when when they get him up, everybody cheers because that's right. he's that's okay. Right. It doesn't matter if it's high school junior high or NFL or college, it's all the same. Sometimes the coach will go out there or one of the offensive or defensive, whatever player he is, sometimes he's just shook up and, and needs just to help getting off. They don't put him on a stretcher. They want to make sure he doesn't have a concussion or whatever. But if it's not a serious injury, sometimes a couple other players will come out and he'll put his arm around them and he'll walk off the field with his leaning on those two teammates. Right. And I always ask them, in, is there any shame in that? And they say no. Here's this big old tough guy, and he's got his arm around two other guys in front of everybody. Everybody's watching. They said, no, there's no shame on that. I said, why not? And they say, because that's their teammates. I said, why can't we do that? Why can't? Everybody has a bad day. Everybody's got a bad day. Instead of getting mad at the world, why can't you lean on the guy next to you? Because one day he's going to have a bad day, and he can lean on you. Why can't we do that? And they act like they've never heard that before. So I used to, because one of my degrees is in personnel, I, I always would interview men one at a time if they're going to go in the faith-based dorm. And the dorms are different sizes. I think the biggest one that I was involved with had 250. So I would go in every week and spend four hours just interviewing. You know, they'd sign up 10 at a time. I interviewed one at a time. And it just took weeks. On one of the units, it's 80 men. One of them, it's 60. And this is just how the programming works. So I always interviewed them one at a time. I'd just have an office next to the chaplain, and I'd call them in one at a time so they have privacy. Some of them would want to talk to me because they hadn't talked to a chaplain in a while, and I'm a voluntary chaplain. So that's how I'd been doing it for years until in one of the units, um, one of the men came in, and I told him, I said, I have heard in prison the one thing they can't take away from you is your word. Is that true? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, that's really all we have left in here is our word. That's what our honor is based on. And every man wants to be respected. But instead of demanding respect, you know, how do you get it? So they, they want to deserve it. So he said, yeah, that's, my word is really all I have in here. Nobody can take that away. That's where my respect comes from. So I said, well, okay, if you get in the program that I'm the coordinator for, that, that unit had 80 men in it, I said, I'm going to ask you two questions. I want to ask you, will you support the program, give me your word, and will you help the guy next to you? And I said, what that means is, will you follow the rules? And if somebody else has trouble, will you help him? And he just put his head down. Now, we're in an in a office, and I'm sitting in a chair. He's sitting in a chair. And I reached out, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, are you okay? And he's one of those guys that doesn't like to be touched. Ooh. So he jumps because somebody touched him, and he was crying. And he's got tears coming down both. Again, that's not the reaction that I'm looking for. Right. And, I'm, and I said, seriously, are you okay? And he said, you don't understand. He goes, I've been in prison for 14 years, 
and you're the first man who's asked me to be a better man. Everybody expects me to just act like an animal in this place. So he stood up like he's in the military, called me sir, reached out his hand, and he says, you have my word on that, sir. And I said, can, can I give you a hug? And he, he's like, oh, it's been a lot of years since I had one of those, too. So he gave me one of those awkward football player hugs. And, and I thought, man, you give me 100 guys like that, we turn this whole prison around. Oh, yeah. And I realized nobody saw that except me. And I said, I've been doing this wrong. From now on, I'm going to interview 10 guys at a time. And when, when I ask each one of them to give me their word, there's 10 witnesses. Yeah. And then if they all get in the program together, when they have a bad day, there's 10 other guys going, come on, man. I was there that day. I saw you. You gave him your word. That, that's a big deal. They hold them I was there, And they hold each other accountable. Oh, yes. And the whole program went to another level. So we went to where in that unit, the warden called me in and he said, I want to blow up the program. I didn't know you could use that word in prison. He said, I want to blow up the program. I want to kick everybody out of the dorm. And I want you to get all new guys. And I said, what do you want to do? And he goes, I want to have respect in the faith-based dorm. He said, we did lockdown. We found five cell phones in the faith-based dorm. That's not acceptable. So I'm kicking everybody out. I want a new program. I said, okay, um, we, we need to have structure or there's no program. And we need to have accountability or there's no respect. He goes, that's right. So, so do that. So I said, okay, structure means rules. So in that unit... Those men made twice as many rules as any other unit where I've served because they wanted their respect back. Now, later on, they wished they didn't have so many rules, but they wanted extra rules for their faith-based program. Did, did they make the rules? Or well, did... I gave them the basic rules, and then they kept asking for more. We need this rule, oh, too, so that, oh, yeah. so that it will help us stay straight. And every other unit, the rules are one page, but theirs was two pages because they wanted extra rules. Because they wanted their respect. Well, within two years, there was a waiting list to get in that program. That's over three hundred guys you know, waiting to get in that. Program. And they always talk about, I always talk about having uh, boundaries, and that like little kids would rather have boundaries. They know they if they go past that, they're going to get a whipping, and that you mean it and you're going to do that instead of just letting them run wild, let them run crazy. It makes them feel safer and, and all that. So it's well, interesting yeah. that you guys be put in prison and they actually do the same thing. Well, and before high school, you know, when I was a kid, I used to be jealous of kids that had curfew because nobody cared when I was coming. You used to have that thing on the TV show at night, like, it's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your parents are? And I'm watching that by myself at home and going, I wonder where my mom is. And so sometimes I'd call and see when she's coming home. But I, I actually craved some structure so that it mattered. And right. so these guys... One of the things I teach them is when you get out of prison, you have an advantage because the hardest thing in an employee today is getting along with everybody else. Right. And in prison, you had to learn to get along with people different than you, different race, religion, age, and you had to learn to get along with people that you didn't even like, and that will give you an advantage where you can get along with people more easily in the free mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Plus, you're not going to call in sick if you're not sick, you're, you know, <laughs> those kind of things. So they make a pretty good employee. And that's, that's, that's a big change that's happened in the last several years where more and more people are realizing about giving those guys a, another chance. And that's what I know that you preach is that uh, God is the God of second chances, and that's why I'm sure a lot of people are drawn uh, in prison to him because they feel like I, I can get a do-over. But you know, being around ministry for many, many years, that's not the way we generally do it in the free world churches. So I mm -hmm. used to try to hide a lot of that so people would think more highly of me and respect me more. You want to be 
the, the model husband, the model father, mm-hmm. you know, always dress well and drive a decent car and be polite all the time. And when I was asked to teach one of the, one of the classes called Overcomers, is it's like an AA class, but it's, it's in your face that you need God or you're never going to change. You have to admit what you're struggling with and be willing to talk about it in a small group or you get kicked out of the class. So <laughs> they wanted me to be one of the, the teachers for that, and they said, that means you got to share first. And I thought, well, I need to lose a little weight. And they're like, no, you gotta, you got to get down and dirty about your struggle or they won't, the guys won't share. Right. And so they sent me away to some advanced training to go through. And first two days didn't really help much. The third day they got into family, childhood issues, child abuse, child neglect stuff. And it got real uncomfortable. And, and then they said, that's, that's your platform right there. You've got to share about the broken home and your dad leaving. And if you don't share that, these men won't respond. And I'm like, Oh man, that's, that's the part you don't like to talk about. And they're like, no, that's what you got to talk about. Mm -hmm. Or they won't, if you don't share your pain, they won't share theirs. Right. <sighs> okay. So even after COVID, the, the classes that they had to restart the soonest was the AA and anger management because those were the ones like the guys had to have that. They had to have that support. What was the hardest story you had to share? I, I have to be careful talking about my mom and my dad because I don't want people to think that I didn't love them. Oh, no. I'm, and so there's good and bad in all of us and you still make choices and right. there's choices that... I wish I hadn't made and things I'd done, I regretted. And, and I remember it, when I had the conversation with my dad about, you know, why did you plan to have children if you weren't going to take care of them? And he said, we didn't, we didn't plan children. <laughs> oh. we, we planned sex and children happened. And I'm like, oh, okay, that explains some things. And Ooh. later on, a year after my dad died, there was another man that thought he was my real dad and it turned out he wasn't. But it's like, Maybe my dad's whole life, he never really knew for sure that I was his child, and that might explain some things. But what, what people don't know, you remember when I brought my dad that one day on Father's Day? Yes, yes. And I told all the story about the way he, you know, he abandoned our family and, and the way he didn't treat me. He thought you should earn everything, and he didn't like giving gifts, and he didn't like, you know, he, if he loaned me money, he charged me interest, so I only did that once. Think, think, he was trying to make you independent, which I became, but I didn't want to be close to him. Yeah. It took me 10 years after I became a minister to tell my dad that I loved him. And I told all this with him in the audience, but the congregation didn't know he was there. And it was on Father's Day. And then at the end, I said, today, I could tell my dad I loved him in front of a 1,000 people. And I told dad to stand up. And everybody's like, <gasps> his I dad is here? Oh. And my stepmom's sitting next to him. And I said, if you want to meet my dad, he'll be standing with me in the foyer after services. And we did that two or three services that day. I don't remember. And he's standing out there. Well, five men came up to me and said, you know what, if you could do that with your dad, I'm going to give my dad another chance. <laughs> and they, three of them brought their dads to church. Uh-huh. But the part that they never knew is when I took my dad, I took him out to eat, and then we went to the airport. The part the church never heard is that as I'm unloading his suitcase to get on the plane, my dad says, this is the greatest day of my life. I'm like, what? And he said, your church gave me a standing ovation and I didn't do nothing for those people. And a part of me thought, you're right, I'm the one that should be getting applause for putting up. And then I thought, no, i got to let that go, and I let him, let him enjoy it. And then he said the most amazing thing. This is the dad who told me that I was not a real minister, that my church is not a real church. If I did weddings for my sisters, they weren't legal. I mean, that's, and and he, he said this. He said, you know what, if I lived in Houston, I would go to your church. 
And, then he, the and then he told me he loved me and he hugged me. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. See, but it's like, why did it took a long time to get there? But that was the what I wanted. Of everything yeah. that you had been doing. Um, I love ending on a high note like that because um, otherwise I'm going to cry through the breath. <laughs> I won't be able to get home or anything. Happy tears. Yes, they are. They are happy tears. And I'm, I'm so proud of you and so proud of and And in a spiritual way, I'm very proud of you. I know it's God that gets all the glory. But uh, I think that what you've, you've done, accomplished, and with your personality that no one ever would expect you to be in that position. And God says, I can use anybody. Sure. <laughs> and I'll use Carl, who y'all would never think. But y'all watch what Carl can do. Because it has to be him. It has yeah, to be him. It, oh, you know, because your personality was just so happy-go-lucky and all that, and to be in a in a prison with that kind of, you know, <laughs> responsibility and fear and everything, but you don't have any fear. You're, it, it's just God. Well, I, I do need to tell you. A lot of people ask me, like, the, why why would you help those people? There's a lot of crazy people in prison, and I say I feel safer in prison than I do driving there. <laughs> I think there's a lot of crazy people on Interstate 45. Amen, <laughs> brother. You will get religion, or you lose your religion on 45, for sure. Um, but thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much for sharing that. Oh my word! Uh, so I I think y'all are just amazing. So give everybody a hug for me, and um, I I just love what you're doing. So we may have to have you come back and do a you know, follow up and talk about what's what else is happening there. And we can always talk about coffee. Yes, and, and you know, yeah, it's all you talk about, all y'all talk about. Uh, ministers are just coffee addicts, that's all they are. Uh, no, but I I think we've had a lot of stories, we have a lot of stories probably from working together that you, we could do a whole show on. But uh, What's it like to work with Sandy Cochran? Yeah, <laughs> I hope no one ever asks you that. Um, look, Richard, Look at him, look at me. See, that's the look he gives me. Okay, I gotta wind this up. Right, now, are we gonna go to a break or are we gonna just say goodbye? It's over. Okay, thank you everybody for listening and thank you, Carl. And uh, listen, I wanna tell you that first responders, we love you. And the deal is, is that God loves you even more than that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, the Cindy Cochran Show will be here tomorrow and we have. Uh, Kenneth Noble, don't say Kenny Noble, wait till you hear his story. He has written a book, and it's the number one Amazon book, you know, on on the sellers list. And so I just wanted to, y'all to be back, because he has, a, my word, his life and the roller coaster life and what he's still on that roller coaster of things that's going on in his life are just amazing. But he's still standing, and he knows why he is, and so he's going to express that and let us know uh, what's going on. But thank you for watching and we will see you soon tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Don't, don't forget it. All right. Thank you.